You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, welcome. I'm sorry, we're just not getting started. I am Mary Beth Cunningham, and so I'm the Senior High Youth Director. So I work here with high school students at the Advent, specifically high school girls. And so I really get the privilege of spending the majority of my time with the Senior High. Um, but I am really grateful to be with you. And let me just open us in prayer before we get started. Dear God, we are so grateful for who you are. God, we are thankful that you are a God that sees us and you know us and you know us so well. Um, you know us better than we could even know ourselves, God, and you know our children and our students better than they could even know themselves and much better than we know them. And so, God, as we this morning just seek to know them better, God, will we also allow you to seek and understand our hearts? Um, God, we pray that you will open our hearts to hear from you. God, we pray that you would open our eyes to see more of who you are, God, and reveal to us more of your truth. Lord, I pray that as I speak, that my words will fall to the ground and remain no more, God, but that yours will endure forever. Lord, we come to you just knowing that you are good and you are true. We pray that we walk away feeling encouraged and supported. Um, God, we love you and we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So the series we're looking at for Faith and Family this this kind of next three series are understanding your child. And that can look a lot different. It can be understanding your child socially. So what it looks like to understand your child as a social being, understanding your child emotionally. So the emotions that they feel even developmentally. So we're talking from a young age up till high school. Last week, Cameron talked about understanding your child spiritually. So what it looks like to understand your child on a spiritual level. And then today we're talking about understanding your child culturally. So what is the culture they live in? What does that look like? And specifically, we're going to talk about shame. Because when you see what we've noticed is um, white, affluent cities like Birmingham, what you really see students and even adults suffering with is this idea of shame. It's the same in um, Asian cultures as well. So it's, it's interesting how they're the same. But we're going to talk about shame, and we're going to talk about it as what is shame. So we're really going to look at the anatomy of it, the way it plays out, and then what is the food for shame? So what helps or what makes shame grow? And then what's the remedy? So through a gospel lens, what is the remedy for, for seeing shame in our own lives and in our, our students' lives and our children's lives? Um, a little disclaimer, the longer I'm in this job, the more I realize that I am not a parent, nor do I have a clue how to parent. And so I pray that you will walk away feeling really encouraged and really supported and not at all as if you're falling short because I just... I see so many times after talking with the girls how incredibly hard it is to be a parent. Um, they'll be sharing things in there. You know, I don't understand my mom. Um, <laughs> I say this, this, and she responds this way, and I can see in her eyes, you know, how it hurts and what she's hearing. But I'm thinking, oh, I would have said the same thing your mother said. And so it's just this feeling of, oh, can't even imagine how many times just in relationships we get it wrong. So let's look today first at the difference between guilt and shame. Because a lot of times I think we think those things are the same. We use those words interchangeably, but really they're two different things. So guilt is behavioral based and then shame is identity based. So if you think about that, guilt being, you know, I did something bad. Shame, 
I am bad. So guilt is, you know, I feel bad about what I've done. Shame is, you know, I'm a bad person. So take the same scenario. Let's say, student, or even you, you failed a test. Um, you failed a test, and your response to that, you know, you didn't prepare, you didn't study. Your response is, you know, I probably should have, I should have studied. I did not make a wise decision. I failed the test. That would be guilt. Shame is going to be, I'm a failure. So you're putting that, that response as an identity, like as your core identity. So you're not saying, I failed the test. You're saying, I am a failure. And there's, there's the difference there. Um, now, what does it look like? Brene Brown, who's a researcher, she actually is a researcher on shame. She says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Another way to say that is just there's this clear picture of what I'm supposed to be. There's this standard of life, belonging, connection, and I don't fit the mold. So there's this standard of what I'm supposed to look like, and at the core, I don't feel like I fit the mold. And that can play out really different in boys and girls, or even as men and women. So let's just take an example of as a boy. The standard is that you like to play baseball or football. You like to play video games, GI Joes. We can do this at any age. You know, as a young, a young boy, you want to be out playing with tractors. You want to be um, watching airplanes and trains. And if that's not what you enjoy, let's say you're a boy that actually enjoys art or you enjoy playing the piano or the violin and you feel as if your culture or your home or your friends, that the standard to be a boy or to be a man is to hunt, fish, whatever the standard is and you don't fit, that's where the feeling of shame comes in. And so um, watching a friend in high school, his dad was extremely talented at building things and just really capable, could fix anything that went wrong in the house, could build things out of wood, just a really capable man. And he kind of taught himself everything. His dad didn't teach him those things. And so the son, my friend, he he could hang, he could kind of build things and um, he could make it work. But anytime he presented something to his father, you know, his dad would send him out to go help with building a table and he would build it. And it would, when it came back, instead of his dad saying, you know, I'm so proud of you, look what you've done. It was always, it's a little crooked or yeah, but you left the stuff all out in the garage. And so there's a, a sense of this mold for his, his family was to be a man was to be able to fix things, to be able to take care of things, to have a knowledge about how to build or um, be capable. And so you see the shame settle in whenever you don't measure, you don't quite measure up. Or maybe for it's a girl that the standard is that you dance and you cheer and you like to play with Barbies or you like to swim. Whatever it is that being a girl you know, in your culture, in your home, what being a woman looks like, when you don't feel like you fit the mold, that's where we're hitting the points of shame. That's where shame presents itself. So where did it all start? I want to think about you know, how do we even get shame into the picture? How did shame enter the world? I think it's really critical that we start back in Genesis 2. So on the back of your paper or the front, whichever way you had it, I've got some scripture. Let's look at Genesis 2. Will somebody read that for us? Martin, would you read? That'd be great. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord commanded God the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. 
If David be not uttered, he will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Thank you. So the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. The God, of pla- God has placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and he has given them, I mean, the ability to name the animals. They are in perfect relationship with God. Things are, are perfect. It is as good as it's going to get right here in the garden. And he just tells them this one command. He says, you may not surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there's kind of the standard is just be with me. I want to know you want to be in relationship with you. Just for your protection, I'm telling you not to eat of this this tree. And they're naked and they're not ashamed. There's nothing wrong with the core of who they are. They are as they are, the way he created them, and they're not ashamed to be in front of one another. They're not hiding, and they're not ashamed of God. That's how, how we start. But then, as we know, Genesis 3 happens. Would somebody read Genesis 3 for us? Okay. Anybody that has class? Will you? That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. So they disobey God. The part right before this is they take of the, the, the tree. The serpent tells Eve, she's like, did God really say that you can't eat of that fruit? He plants those seeds of doubt. And she eats of the fruit, and then she gives some to Adam. And all of a sudden, at that point, we see that they know they're naked. It's this exposure, this vulnerability. They're all of a sudden aware that they're naked. And you notice they're not ashamed. You know, they don't feel guilt oh, we just obeyed God, we made a bad decision. At the core, there's this feeling of, oh, I need to cover myself, I need to hide myself. They say that, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of God. They start taking fig leaves, and they start trying to sew them together to cover up. So they really, they made a bad decision, they did, they disobeyed. But at the core, what they're feeling is shame. They're feeling like they need to hide who they are. So there's no longer... You know, they experience this vulnerability. They try to cover what's exposed. And God says, who told you you were naked? You know, and he knows, but he says, who told you that you were naked? And what do they do? They start blame. Blame enters the picture. So Eve says, the serpent that you put in this garden, 
he made me eat this apple or this fruit. And then Adam blames Eve. He's like, the woman that you put here, she gave me this fruit. And so we see the product of experiencing the shame is now blame. So that's their response is to cover and hide and to blame. But God's response, we see that God's response is to, I don't think I, I don't think I gave all this part. Um, God's response, we see what he actually goes to do is he creates the first animal sacrifice. And so he, he kills an animal in order to sew them clothes together. So God covers their shame is what he does. He, he sends them out of the garden because they can't be in the garden in their whole, in the state that they are. If they eat from the tree of life in their sinful state, they'll remain that way forever. So it's actually a mercy that he, he sends them out of the garden. But then he makes them garments of skin and he covers their, their shame. So as a result of sin entering the world, we all wrestle with shame. But the reason that we have a shame problem is because we have a sin problem. And so that's essential to understand it first. And what that results in is a culture of intense anxiety and stress. This intense desire to conform, to be like everyone else, or to feel like we're fitting in. And this pressure to perform is really what we see, I think, as a whole, living in Birmingham, living in this culture, is this pressure to perform. But specifically our students, it's what they wrestle with. And then there's a lack of vulnerability. Just like Adam and Eve, we live in this cover-up culture where we're constantly trying to have a, a face of, you know, it's fine. When someone says, how are you doing? We just say, oh, great, how are you? Very rarely do we say, you know, I've had a really hard day. Like, I, I had a really, really hard day. And so the shame problem comes from the sin problem. Where it began. But let's now talk about the anatomy of shame. So if you want to flip back over, we've got this diagram that I have for you all. What are some things that, if we think about shame food, things that would help shame, that, that would make shame grow? Does anybody have any guesses as to what you would think that would be? Comparison. Okay, comparison, yes. So comparison would be one. Shame would grow in the sense of seeing somebody else that does fit the mold. Um, comparison, definitely. Any other guesses? There's several. Shame will grow with silence. So in silence, where there's nothing, where it's not spoken out or it's not said. You know, there's something really powerful about speaking out, um, speaking out what you're feeling. Isolation. So if you're isolated and alone, if your child's, they're going to experience shame. Avoidance. And then even just telling ourselves we shouldn't be ashamed. You know, if we're like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. That produces a sense of shame because I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling ashamed about this. But then once again, I'm not meeting the mold. So that's not helpful to tell ourselves, but it's also not always helpful to tell other people. And then rationalizing shame is not really a good thing because it's not really cognitive. It's not something that we can understand um, always at a cognitive level. And then blaming others, like we see Adam and Eve, blaming others actually just um, increases and helps the shame grow. So an interpersonal con- like um, continuum of shame, if you see on the corner of your page, these are ways that we can actually be shaming other people. So we know that shame can occur, something we bring on ourselves, but also we can feel shamed by other people. <laughs> so on the basis level, something that's a little hidden would be like a silence or a lack of response. And we talk about that. That's something I see in two of my friends a lot. So one of them gets sick constantly. She's just she weak immune system, always has a headache or is feeling really nauseous. And the other friend has lived with her for four years, and so she thinks that she's a hypochondriac. And so if one of my friends comes home and she's got a headache, my other friend won't even respond. She won't even acknowledge it. She's like, I'm not going there with you. I'm not going to look at, you know, 
when you're saying you've got a headache, I can't even acknowledge that. And that sounds crazy. She hasn't done anything outwardly to say like, you feel fine, like, you know, get it together. But just the silence and the lack of response, the lack of, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, how long have you had a headache? Or are you feeling okay? The lack of empathy is a way of shaming somebody. And we can do that with um, with our, our children or with spouses. Um, shaming can just be a lack of response or silence. It can be really harsh. Or it can even be a condescending glance or an eye roll. So let's say, you know, my friend says, oh gosh, I'm not feeling good. I've got a headache. And then my other friend responds with an eye roll or a condescending glance, like, you don't really have a headache. Um, it's another way of shaming somebody. So you're, you're kind of laying shame on them. Or it can be insinuating statements. And this seems so subtle, but if someone's, your, your daughter is really upset, she hasn't made the cheer team. And so she's really upset. And instead of sitting with her in that and saying, gosh, I'm so, so sorry that you didn't make the cheer team or talk to me how you're feeling, you're just like, it's not really a big deal. Like you, you shouldn't be upset about this. Like you, you have nothing to worry about. Um, the way I see this a lot with the girls is a breakup. So one of my students um, had a breakup with a boy and honestly, she had been sneaking out. She shouldn't have been seeing this boy. Her parents didn't know. And she, she got caught. And so her parents found out she's really upset and they're wondering why she's upset. She lets them know. She cues them into what she's feeling and they're rightfully angry. They're rightfully upset. They haven't known um, that she'd been sneaking out. And then, though, she, she was really upset and hurt by the breakup. I mean, she's got a legitimate a legitimate heart heart problem where she's, she's hurting. And their response is, you know, this boy's not even worth it. Like, why are you crying? The boy is not even worth you being upset. And you're probably right. Like, her, her parents actually are right. The boy is not worth it. Um, he has not treated her right. The response is, is not... You know, in, in your head, you look back a couple of years and you're like, you won't be upset about this. But in the moment, what she needs is probably to be disciplined because she's been sticking out, but also to have someone care into her heart to say, you know, talk to me about what you're feeling. Like, I'm, I'm so sorry that this is this is difficult and and not to just do the shoulds and the shouldn'ts. Those can be really, really hurtful to say, you know, you shouldn't be feeling this way. Or they can be a direct statement. So it can be direct as you don't belong in the family or you're not measuring up. You you failed. Um, so we see the continuum that it can be as, as slight as just a lack of response or as harsh as, you know, you, you failed. You, you don't belong here. Let's take a look at this chart on your, your paper. I think it's really helpful to also understand the way shame works. So at the core, you've got the dignity and depravity that we talked about. And that's the core of, you know, who I am. I'm sorry. Um, dignity and depravity. So there's something wrong at the core with who I am, you know, at the core of my identity. And so when we feel that, the not measuring up, that's where the shame is right around. So right around the outside, we've got the shame. And then this is what gets interesting. The way it plays out is usually you're going to see in yourself or in your child self-content. So that's what we call fist in. Like you're beating yourself up. Or others content. So you're blaming others. That's fist out. It's got fist in and fist out. So the way they respond could either be that, you know, they don't feel good enough and so they're beating themselves up, or out of this feeling of not measuring up, they're rebelling and they're angry and they're lashing out. And it's funny to think that underneath all of that, what you're seeing on the outside is the rebellion or the anger, or a lot of times the self-content can look like addiction or drugs. Um, that's where that usually plays in. If you've got a history of addiction, it's coming from the self-content of the fist in, but you're seeing this on the outside and you're seeing the lashing out or the 
beating themselves up and you're like, what's going on under there? Most likely, it could be a sense of shame. It could be coming from a sense of, of shame. On the outside of that, so that's what we call our against. We've got this fear of rejection or exposure. This is where our fig leaves come in. So a fear of rejection, your child might be withdrawing. So that's going to look like binging on Netflix. That's going to look like not wanting to hang out with friends, maybe staying in their room a lot. Um, and it could also look like partying, drinking. You know, That's also a sense of withdrawal or um, isolation. Or the fig leaves, we, the cover-up culture, is where we're micromanaging our appearance. So we think about that. It's what we're choosing to reveal to other people. So I'm letting you see on the outside, like it's all fine. I'm walking through the hallways, and I'm extra caring, and I'm extra kind. And really, I'm just micromanaging my appearance and letting you see what I want you to see. And that's all coming from a fear of exposure. So there will be a severe lack of vulnerability there, not really willing to open up or share. On the outside of that, that would be our way. We see performance. And that's going to be the majority of what we see when shame exists is when they, when you feel like you've got two options. It's like a pass-fail class. It's either pass or you fail, and that's where your shame will exist if you're operating under that mindset. Um so the performance is going to look like perfection or, or failure. So you would be, you would be performing even harder to try to compensate for the fact that you feel like you're, you're not measuring up. Brene Brown also says that if you put shame in a petri dish, it needs three things to survive: secrecy, silence, and judgment. But if you put the same amount in a, and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. So we're going to move to, we're going to move to the remedy in just a minute. But first, I want to kind of look at, you know. I think we're all so different, and so I'm sure as you get in a marriage, you realize just how differently you respond than your spouse, but also as you have children, how differently probably each of your children respond. You've probably got three children, if you've got three, that are totally different. They don't always respond the same way as, as the other ones, or maybe just one. Let's take this example of three kids. You've got Olivia, your oldest, Mark, your middle, and Brad, your baby. <laughs> so if we take the forward-against-away response of what you may be seeing with the same standard. So let's just say in your family, the standard is we all make 30s on the ACT. That is the standard. It's just a 30 on the ACT. It's what what we consider good enough to go to the college you want to go to. It's what we're striving for. The lack of, you know, when your child, if he gets to 29, how Olivia, the oldest, might respond if she's in the performance mode would be the overachiever. So she's going to study all the time. She might not have a social life. She's got this fear of failure, which resulting in overcompensation. So she's just trying to prove herself, trying to perform. And she's already so extremely hard on herself that any added pressure from parents or from anyone else is really just going to result in her either crumbling and falling apart or trying extremely hard, just even harder. She'll just keep pushing herself. So that would be the performance aspect. If you're feeling the shame and you respond with performance, it's the overachiever, overcompensator. I've got Mark, our middle, and if he's dealing with the fear of rejection and exposure and he's going to respond away, he might withdraw. So he's going to withdraw, he's going to do the isolation, cover up, maybe the apathy, the binging on the Netflix, the who cares. Like, I really don't even want a 30 on the ACT. Who cares? Um, He's really numbing the pain. And so added pressure, added shame, you know, in that response when he's withdrawing, if you're pursuing and curious as to why he's responding that way and you're adding pressure of, well, you should be going to these classes and you should be studying really hard, then 
he's going to run away. He's not going to participate. It'll be the one that takes himself out of the game so that they can't fail. You, know, you, you remove yourself from the standard to say, well, I can't fall short then. Now, if Brad, your baby, is dealing with the self-content and the other's content. This is our fist in or fist out. You know, we're either lashing out at other people or beating ourselves up. Could be rebelling. Could be really angry, really mad. Um, he'll be furious at you that you even made him go to the classes to take the test. And maybe it wasn't his fault. Maybe the ACT teacher was terrible. She took all his money and she's not doing what she's supposed to. Um, that's where you've got the fist in or fist out. So throwing the blame on other people or really just beating yourself up. And so the added shame is just going to have him fight back. He's going to lash out. He's going to rebel um, and beat themselves up. But I think in order we look at the shame remedy of what it looks like to kind of speak into shame. So now that we kind of understand what it looks like, what it may kind of manifest itself as, how do we how do we deal with shame? How do we speak speak to it? The first thing is. The gospel, I know that sounds so simple, but the gospel is what is the the first shame remedy. If we look at Isaiah, let's see, Isaiah, where's my sheet? 50, yeah, 54, 4 through 5. Would somebody read that one? Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. So fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded. So we see in the beginning that Christ came to take away our shame. So the 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 fact that Christ has come and lived the life perfectly that we could. I mean, he's been perfect for us frees us from the feeling of shame, frees us from this feeling that we've got to be anything other than a child of God. That at the core is your identity, and that is your child's identity. Who they are is someone who is loved, accepted, pursued, and valued by the Lord. And so they, if they know whose they are, and they know who they are, like they belong to the Lord, and that they are his child and so loved, then that is the first first aspect to free. So at a broad level, the gospel frees us from, from shame, ultimately. But some practical things is practicing vulnerability. So we think about that exposed gap. Whenever there's a standard that we don't measure up to or we don't meet, practicing vulnerability. And that's hard. Are you, are you practicing vulnerability with your children? So I think it can be really, really helpful if your child has come home and had a really hard day or they've really felt left out by their friends or, you know, whatever it is they're wrestling with. If you share... You know, sweetheart, I've had a really hard day too. Like, share the times that you may have gotten fussed at by your boss or that you may have felt like you were falling short. I think in order to understand your, your children's shame, you've got to understand your own. Where, where are the places in your life that you're also experiencing and also feeling shame? A lot of times just in this culture for women, it can be, you know, wake up at 5 a.m., get the kids up, get them dressed, get them fed, pack the lunches work nine to five, get home, be thrilled to see your children, be all that your husband needs, go to bed, and do not let them see you sweat. Don't let them see that it's difficult. And if that's the standard that we feel as as women or as a mom, and if that's what you're wrestling with yourself, and I don't know what the standard is for you, a lot of times that can be it for, for women, then when you don't feel like you're measuring up or it's really hard and you're getting really frustrated with your student, I mean with your children, then acknowledging that, you know, 
recognizing in your own life, gosh, these are the things that, that I'm feeling shame over. This is where I'm feeling the exact same thing that they're feeling. And then practice that vulnerability. Look at your, your daughter and say, sweetheart, gosh, I'm so sorry that that breakup was really tough. I'll tell you, like, I understand how you're feeling. Like, I understand the heartbreak of, of feeling like somebody didn't choose you or, or feeling like you're, you're just falling short. You didn't do well on the test. You know, I've been falling short today too. Um, for men, a lot of times it's, for men, a lot of times shame can come in expressing vulnerability. So for men, the standard can be go to work, perform, don't show where you're weak. Don't show that you are struggling. Um, I think as a culture, we can say that, you know, for men that to show weakness, to show vulnerability is actually, you know, is weakness. And that's not true. And so as a man to acknowledge, oh gosh, like, I'm wrestling with the fact that I didn't exactly hit my goal this week in sales. And so somewhere at the core, this is hitting me. I'm feeling like I am a failure, not just like I haven't done a good job, but that I'm, I'm falling short and sharing that with your children in a safe way. Of course, I mean, there's certain things that you don't share with your, your child, but as many times as you can say, I'm sorry, as many times as you can look at them and say, gosh, I'm so sorry that I haven't understood you well, or I haven't seen how that hurt, that hurt you. Or I'm sorry that my, my reaction to, to your reaction was not harsh. It was not kind. Um, and that can be even with, with parenting to say like, I'm sorry, I haven't done a great job as a parent as you, we talked about like taking away their cell phone. You know, if they are feeling extremely anxious over their cell phone and you say, look, I'm sorry, I've noticed that this has been causing you stress and anxiety, but I haven't done anything about it. And so as a parent, I've fallen short in, in that way to kind of say sorry, just to let your home be a culture of vulnerability where you're free to share how you're feeling. All about that exposed gap of where it is that you feel like you're not you're not meeting where you're supposed to. So first John, I'm sorry, I keep my papers mixed up. First John 1.9, would somebody read that? That'd be great. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not within us, is not in us. Perfect. So that's what in order to putting our faith in Christ is just acknowledging that we need help. It's just saying, Gosh, I'm I'm needy. It's acknowledging the gap and saying, Lord, I need to trust and need surrender. And so we're doing the same thing, you know, in, in our homes or when we're seeking to help other people, you know, quit covering up or, or piecing together that shame to say, let's acknowledge the gap. Um, two is let's deconstruct per- perfectionism. So you can't be perfect and you know that you can't be. And so if the standard, if, if the students are feeling a culture of perfectionism from school, from their friends, that that's the, the standard. Help your, helping your child deconstruct perfectionism that, you know, you're, you're not perfect. You're going to fall short, just like I'm falling short. And so speaking into that, saying that's not the standard here. Our, our standard is to surrender and to trust and to ask the Lord daily for, for help, realizing that Christ has been perfect for us. And so we don't have to. Second Corinthians 5:21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become that righteousness of God. So that's the justification. And as a parent, how you speak into your child, you know, speaking in that they have been justified and they have been made right, um, having that dialogue with them so they understand they understand what it is that they're called to be, is to, to recognize you can't be perfect. So Christ actually, you know, he came 
to be perfect for you. And that works on both ways. If you've got a child who's feeling really unworthy, then you can say, look, like you are so worthy of love and belonging that God would send his only son to die for you on the cross. And if you have a child that's actually really prideful, you can say, look, you are so bad that Christ had to come and die for your sins. You know, like there's, it's the two way street. It helps us keep in line where it is that we fall, what it is that we, who it is that we are. Three is non-performance-based affirmation. So as many times as you can tell your child, you know, I am so proud of you for just being my child. Like what I'm proud of you for is the fact that you're my daughter. Um, not, and, and we can tell them we're proud of them when they do well, it's, you know, do, do well in, in school and in sports as well. But to say, you know, I'm so proud of you for just who you are, not that you're a hard worker or that you are extremely kind. Um, those are, those are good things as well. But as many times we can affirm them, and the fact that you're my daughter, I'm so grateful, um, and you're a daughter of the king. Romans 8, 38-39 says, For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So affirming that just like nothing can separate them from the love of Christ, nothing can separate them from you as their parent. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, you're letting your child know that, like, you will always be my daughter. Like, that is the core. And nothing can change that. Nothing you do can change the fact that you're my daughter or you're my son. Four is just some accountability. So we're going to separate personhood from performance. So really taking time to think about where you may be adding pressure. Um, your child will do anything they can to please you, most likely. Um, if you're putting some standard in place, they're going to do whatever they can to meet that standard. And so thinking about, you know, where am I adding pressure? And if your child's withdrawing, if they're not really trying, maybe understanding the shame underneath of, you know, what are they really feeling? And is the added pressure making them crumble or making them withdraw? Um, and, and realizing, I think, that there's only so much you can do as a parent. But whatever it takes to please, they're going to do. So having some accountability with you and your husband, with you, um, and the Lord of just, where is it that I'm, I'm adding that pressure that they're already feeling so much of just from the culture that they live in, just from the fact that they live in Birmingham, Alabama. And then know your own story. So we talked about as an adult, how, how do you deal with shame? And as a child, how did you deal with shame? So maybe it's, you could even look at your husband and say, you know, when I'm feeling shame, what do I do? They can probably point those things out of you. You know, am I, am I withdrawing or am I lashing out and understanding the way that you deal it? deal with it can help you understand um, your child. So if your if your child doesn't make the dance team, there could it could be that you're also dealing with a little bit of shame with that as well as, well, now I don't get to sit with the dance moms, or now I'm not part of that core group, or your son doesn't make the baseball team. Are you feeling shame also that, well, now that makes me not a baseball dad? And while that's something hard to acknowledge, and it may be something that you really have a hope or a dream for, is it something that you're passing along accidentally? Like you don't even know that your child is feeling this pressure of, well, I didn't make the team, and I already feel like I'm not gonna be able to be able friends with my my dance friends, and now my mom's also upset because she can't be the dance mom coordinator or or whatever it is. And so, where is it that you could potentially be adding shame that you don't even realize? And then the last thing is just pray. I think there's so many things as parents, it's there's not a rule book to say like, you know, what do I do? How to respond? Um, and ultimately, we can't change hearts. If I've got a friend who's wrestling with shame, I, I can speak into that. I can have empathy. I can sit with her. I cannot, you know, 
don't, I'm not going to be silent or, or seek to not do anything to add shame to that, but also we're, we're so limited. And so we've got to pray and depend on the Holy Spirit. If you've got a child that's really rebellious or really angry, you may not be able to do anything physically to, to help that. It may be that you just got to get on your knees and acknowledge the one who can. Um, I think I always think about that of, you know, if, if I'm getting together with a student for an hour, would it be better for me to meet with them for an hour one-on-one or to spend that hour praying? And if I think that it's better for me to meet with them one-on-one, then I'm probably acknowledging that I'm like a little more powerful than I actually am. You know, if I pray for them for that hour, I'm acknowledging that the Lord's the one that really can help them. He's really what they need. Um, so just thinking through um, the idea that there's really only so much you can do. And so I pray that you have not felt any sense of condemnation or extra shame as to falling short and that we've just kind of unpacked what shame looks like and some of the responses and behaviors that you're seeing in your child may actually be rooted to shame. Um, I would love to take any questions or for y'all to say half of what you said did not make any sense. And so please clarify. Yes. Um, Paul has all used to say the most helpful thing to me, or not to me, but to us, uh-huh. say the original sin was evenly distributed. So when your child comes to you and said, well, you know, you just like her better because she always does what she's supposed to. I could say, oh, no, no, no. She has a problem with self-righteousness. <laughs> your sin is very obvious. Right. Your sin is more socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. And But you're, you're just as sinful as she is. You need a savior just like she does. Right. And it was the most wonderful thing because children love to use that as a weapon. And mm-hmm. say, you know, you, you've always liked her more anyway. Right. She does what's right. Uh, second thing I like to say is if you haven't seen Brene Brown's uh, video on shame, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen the TED Talk, please watch it. I, I bet I've watched it 20 times. It is really good. Mm-hmm. And you can just go, you can just Google um, Brene Brown, TED, shame. Yes. And uh, then the third thing is she has a great video on blame that's about three minutes long. On You can do Brene Brown, blame. And it's very helpful to realize it in myself how I blame other people and how that works. So, right. Anyway. And I hope you reminded me, as a parent, I hope you'll know that we are constantly fighting for y'all in Sunday school and in our, our youth groups or one-on-one time. Um, they're all the time, I think, you know, my parents don't understand me or um, I'm frustrated. But the reality is we have to be like, look, your parents are sinners just like you are. What, the response that you're having right now is, you know, and the response your parents are having, you're wrestling with the same issue. It, it's sin. And so reminding them that, yes, you were created for a perfect Heavenly Father. And your parents are probably trying the best they can to fill that role, but they're going to fall short. And so um, I hope you know that we are we are fighting for you all <laughs> the majority of the time. So any other thoughts or questions? or? Yeah. How do you, speaking into that, like as to what they're feeling? Yeah. Or like the logic of, of breath. separate the two, failure and failing Yeah, because I mean, like if I wasn't a failure, I wouldn't have failed the test, you know. It's, it's just, it just, just seems so logical, you know. Oh, I think that's the, the difference of like, just because you failed the test doesn't make you a failure. You just, you fail like right, you. Right, yeah, because you're guilty, like, oh, you know, I, I'm not a failure, I failed the test, I should have studied more. But, you know, with shame, you know, you were saying, it kind of hits your core. I am a failure. Right. And, uh, but I mean, that, yeah. But anyway, so it just seems so logical. If I was a success, I would have passed the test. You know, right. Not even studying. Right. Um, 
mean, I know it's very silly, but it's I think speaking into your child, like we don't even catch that language, right? If they come home or they like they strike out at the baseball game, they say like, you know, I I failed. Like if they say that word failed, even just correcting the language of like, no, like sweetheart, you should have studied and, and you you weren't prepared, but you're not a failure. You just you made a bad decision. You know, even deconstructing the language of saying, at the core, that's not who you are. At the core, you are a child of God. At the core, you are my daughter. And we take some steps to, you know, to do well and to use those gifts. But at the core, is that, is that helpful? Yeah. Okay. And also just saying your worth doesn't come from Right. Because you feel that, and, and in that light, yes, you did feel that, but that's not what gives you worth. And so, and helping them speak out, you know, what are you seeking affirmation from? You know, are you seeking affirmation in the fact that your your friends think that your outfit's cool or that, you know, you've got a, a 30 on ACT or you're doing well in school? Yeah, so, and admitting to them too, like, I seek my affirmation in the fact that I have it all together, that I'm getting all lunches prepared, you know, whatever it is, but saying as as humans, we suffer, suffer with this sin issue that, that we find affirmation in all these things other than Christ, that we seek to get satisfaction and feel this sense of worth from things outside of, of God, and so recognizing that, you know, it's just probably something we've got a little not rightly ordered, but yeah, I think that's a great point to say, where does your affirmation come from? Like our eternal identity versus our momentary circumstance, maybe? Yeah. Like that that's just a, a momentary thing, and then you'll have another test, and another test, and another test. Like right. You can't be fully 100% reflected in that one moment. Right. They do it all the time. They're like, if I can just get past Tuesday, I'm like, you know, you're gonna have a test next Wednesday. So like, we can we can do this. You know, everyone's all and we we do that ourselves too. We're like, oh, if I can just get past this proposal, but there's gonna be another proposal. There's gonna be another test. There's gonna be another. You're right, but it's so funny to watch them. After this week, it'll be great, and then the next week, in Bible study, biology test, and uh, <laughs> so it's it's the affirmation of where we're seeking approval and and worth. I think what you said about kind of sitting with them, you know, in that, that's mm-hmm. probably the hardest thing that I've had to learn the hard way is kind of just like time, like sitting in silence yeah. with them a little bit instead of, why why do you feel that way? Come on, get it together. Right. Uh-huh. You know, because um, kind of sitting there, yeah. it brings out a lot of anger in you too because you, you it's frustrating that they're even responding that way, but kind of right. sitting that way. Right. Or you just want to shake and be like, really why? Hard, yeah. Like and, and I think in our minds it's like, oh, but if you knew what I knew, because I'm 30 years down the road, and if you could see what I see, you would not see this as a big issue. But I think that's something I'm constantly repeating myself when I sit with the girls is like, what they're feeling right now is so real. Like the mm-hmm. the upsetness about whatever it is, it's there, it's real to them. And so instead of just the, you shouldn't be feeling that way, or you shouldn't be this upset, saying like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry you're upset about this. Talk to me about what you're feeling. And when you ask those questions with a lot of listening and empathy, they feel a freedom to open up to you to say, I can trust my mom. I can trust my dad. I can talk to them about these things. And so then you don't experience the withdrawal because when they feel the shutdown, when they feel the, okay, I don't, you know, I don't understand why you're feeling that way. Go up to your room. They don't feel comfortable to come and say, you know, talk to you about things in the future because they just think you don't understand or that you don't, you don't care. But it's hard to remind yourself, like, what my child is experiencing. Her ball got ran over in the road. If you got a two-year-old, like, that is some hurt and some real, you know, it's real to her. Like, she's upset. And the same way that if I ran into a tree with my car, like, I'd be really, really upset. And the Lord's probably up there like, this car's not going to be here in a few years. Like, you're so upset about this car. Um, so it's the perspective, but understanding the hurt. Yeah, it's hard, though. Anything else? Thank y'all for being here. Yeah, I love the questions after. Thank you.
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.